You've tuned in to 96.7 on your FM dial. This is Hugh Cruzel, and the program is QOL. We're going back to the roots of some of this program when it used to be called Eat This, Drink That. And as you know, quite often I, I spend time talking about wine, wine education, wine regions, wine tastings. It really is a passion of mine because I think food, and, and wine is food, it's part of quality of life. In my research, recent research, I happened to come across Mark Gudgelin. Mark, Mark, where are you today? I'm in my office uh, at the university here in Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska, a very important wine-growing region. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. A very important wine-consuming region, I would argue. Well, that's <laughs> true of, of much of Canada, although we do have wine-growing regions. But I think, uh, you know, sometimes some of it has been a struggle. We keep pushing the edges. But are there people actually growing grapes around Omaha? Uh, there are. There are. And um, I think they're at a disadvantage. You know, our, our diurnal range here is nasty. Um, and uh, so is the continentality. Um, but the soil's good. And uh, the people know how to work hard. So uh, I'm seeing some very interesting things, not only with hybrid varietals, but there's a bit of vinifera being grown here, too. Well, that's intriguing because, of course, that seems to be the history of most regions. You, ah, somebody wants to do it. They do it as a hobby. They grow it a little bit bigger. They plant some hybrids, you know, Niagara, Concord, blah, 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 and uh, <laughs> Vidal and uh, Welsh Riesling even from time to time. And then they, they go, oh, my goodness, look at this. We could do better. And they discover, you know, the classic grapes. And anyways, here we are because... You have written something, and that something has a historical background to it. It has perhaps even part of what we've just been discovering or talking about is this transition that happens from an awareness to a, to a celebration of the, the ability of a region to do amazing things. You wrote a book about the judgment of Paris. Yes. Spent years doing it. Like years and years? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I think, uh, as with all of my books, I, I kind of consider them the culmination of whenever I became interested in the subject. And so in the case of The Judgment of Paris, off and on, I suppose I visited Chateau Montalena for the first time 10 years ago. It's, I suppose it's 10 years in the making. That's uh, So it's been a labor of love. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I, I crack, you know, well, a lot of people, I was going to say I crack jokes about it, but really my, my friends poke fun at me, you know, and, they're like, yeah, your, your life is really hard, isn't it? You spend all this time drinking and writing about it. <laughs> <laughs> so there are people who, uh, the audience out there who are listening to QOL, which is a product of uh, CKLU 96.7 on your FM dial. You know, uh, folks, you can listen synchronously, if you wish, to uh, 96.7 on Thursdays at 6 o'clock or Radio Garden. But, you know, many of you can't do it at that time, so you, li you listen asynchronously to, um, well, just Google my name, Hugh. Cruzel and the word podcast and well, Spotify has it and many other platforms there's hundreds of episodes many of them on wine Mark Gudgel why on earth would you get passionate about something that happened in the past well uh, I, I think that is uh, maybe part of being an academic I don't know I don't like being thought of as an academic I'm a teacher really but my, I kind of have a foot in two different fields. My fields are genocide studies and viticulture. Which is just, and, that blew me out of the water when I read that. <laughs> yeah, it, well, and, and it, it, it fits me really well because I do think that, you know, in both instances there's value, but I will say that, that grapes are the far more lighthearted uh, field 
that I that I work in, and it's a nice escape. Honestly, uh, wine is interesting, and sports are interesting, but neither is life or death. And so, when my most recent book before this was on how we teach about the Holocaust, and my ongoing research right now is about how we teach about the Holocaust. And you know, I work in Rwanda and Bosnia, and and uh, always studying, you know atrocities and and wine is a neat escape and and there's there's there is intersection you know i work in in bosnia a lot right now and i'll tell you the future of wine is balkan yes balkan wines are blowing my mind i am in love with them moldova anywhere around uh, macedonia i mean there's some real historical background to this slovenia bosnia they all make excellant wines and the levant is also becoming better known um israel uh lebanon we're going back to some of the basic understandings of of where uh the cult of agriculture began i mean we tend to think about agriculture beginning with with grains uh wheat and and oats and things more recent research is saying oh hang on folks it was grapes absolutely yeah. absolutely wine wine has existed in everything i've ever read no matter how old it was you know <laughs> that's so true okay judgment of paris i mean seriously you when did you first hear about it and i i think the audience really wants to know why is this important? And I, I've got a whole host of, I mean, we could talk about the movies that are done on this, the the stories that have been written, and we can talk about the key people. We've got lots of questions for you, Mark. Sure, sure. So I first heard about it, and I think this is probably true for many people. I first heard about The Judgment of Paris uh, when a friend of mine in Kansas City, I was visiting one night, and he says, we're going to watch this movie. I really like it. And it was called Bottle Shock, of course. And and Bottle Shock is, you know, it's it's interesting, and it's a, it's well acted. I love um, Alan Rickman. You know, it's got Jim Barrett in it. And there's, there's yes. you know, the story of Gustavo Brambilla is exaggerated while other stories are kind of pushed aside. But Brambilla is an amazing guy and a staple of the Napa Valley. And so I became familiar with him through the movie and probably, you know, may not have otherwise. So, you know, I don't think that the movie's without value, but it is not not exactly a documentary, let's say that. But it was an interesting gateway into this event for me, which is, extremely intriguing and you know on the surface um it's interesting because it was supposed to be inconceivable and totally inconceivable totally so totally inconceivable that those people who were there said this can't be true absolutely absolutely so i want to begin with a a quote that uh, i got from warren winiarski who's an amazing man and and um definitely someone you should meet um you know you being the audience here anybody who has the opportunity or or even just read up on and enjoy his wines but um he said this and i I thought it really it's at the very front of my book because i really thought it captures kind of the the gravitas of the moment he says perhaps stephen did imagine the possibility of the outcome of the paris tasting more fully than anyone else associated with the event somewhere in the shadowy recesses of the boundary land between thought and imagination and the nameless something which asks what if he must have divined that the structure of his tasting created the possibility of the outcome that actually occurred Mm -hmm. for in the past no one else had provided for such a possibility and that's how utterly inconceivable this was um, and, and it wasn't planned. Okay, so what happens for your audience here is that uh, an Englishman 
who is also a Parisian wine merchant, and that unto itself is intriguing, mm -hmm. right? Who's partnered with an American, and, and, and his name is Stephen Spurrier, and his wife, Bella, of course, is part of this story. And then uh, his business partner, uh, well, he had a couple of business partners, but someone working in his shop, Patricia Gasto Gallagher, was an American. And Gallagher uh, has a conversation with a woman named Dupuis in California, and um, they start talking about American wines. And Gallagher has put on little tastings of American wines at the Academy de Vaughan uh, there in Paris for some time. And, and, and the thing is that the wine exported that's getting to Paris is really not worth drinking, you know. But, but Dupuis says to Gallagher, there's, there's really some good stuff here going on in uh, the Napa Valley. And, and here are some that I would try. So Gallagher goes back on a vacation. She tries the wine. She says, damn, you're right. And so she tells Stephen and Stephen and Bella go to the Napa Valley and uh, also to the Santa Cruz mountains. And they taste these wines and Stephen, he goes, wow. Yeah. You know, these, these are real good wines. And so he sets up this tasting in Paris. So the wine tasting is of American wines in Paris with the most highly credentialed French judges imaginable. Um, and, and he says, we're going to taste American wine and, and, you know, okay. And they're, they're like, oh, fine. And they tell the press and the press is like, this is not interesting. Um, but George Tabor, a journalist for Time Magazine had recently taken a course with them. And he says, you know what, if it's a slow day, I'll come. And it's a slow day. So he comes. But what's really interesting is that at the last minute, Stephen decides well, Stephen realizes what the French are going to do. And it's not because they're French. The French aren't bad people. You know, I, I get so annoyed with the sort of anti-Franco rhetoric mm. in this country. The French, the French are the reason that we aren't still English citizens. But, you know, he says you, they're going to write it off. They'll taste the wine and they'll say some nice things. But at the end of the day, they'll dismiss it because it is American and these regions are unknown. And, and he's right. I think. And so at the last minute, he says to them, what I'd like to do is make it a blind tasting. He says, I've changed the rules. I'd like to make it a blind tasting. I'm going to give throw some some extraordinary French wines in. And, uh, you know, you'll get to, to taste them next to one another for sort of a comparison. Yep. And they all, you know, no problem. Bonadi, you know, this is fine. And uh, so that's how it happens. But what, you know, what ultimately transpires, of course, is that they taste the white wines and they get confused. And we know this because George Tabor, you know, uh, Gallagher and, and Spurrier are serving as judges. Spurrier's wife, Bella, is taking photographs of the event. Um, and, and so only Tabor is there as a journalist. And because he's the only journalist, number one, he gets the list. So he knows what wine they're tasting, like white wine number one is this, and he knows that all the way through all of them. And so, and he's walking around listening to them, and he's realizing that they are just absolutely confused. They're, they're convinced that French wines are American, and so they're scoring them low. They're convinced that some of the American wines are French. They don't know what's going on because the wines are so comparable. And at the end of it, they, as they're transitioning to the, the red wines, Spurrier reveals that the winning white wine was a 73 Chateau Montalain and Chardonnay. Yes. And uh, this is sort of a gobsmacking moment. What, what, I've all, what I'm so confused about, and unfortunately, Stephen has passed away. Yes. Um, but what I'm so confused about is how, the, how, how they proceeded from there. Like, 
how how in that moment they went okay let's do well, the next enough. ones let's go ahead and do the next let's see if we can screw this up even worse you know but they did and and what's so killer about it is that then the winning red wine is a 73 stags leap wine cellars cabernet sauvignon made by warren winiarski yeah. and it bears mention out of three-year-old grapes the the vines were three years old gosh yeah gosh well, so, you know, <laughs> and, and that that was history and it was done uh, partly because it was the American Bicentennial, I think, too. Perhaps uh, there was some connection to that. There was kind of Absolutely. the waving the, the le, le drapeau américain. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, the movie, though, every, every time I see, you know, I see Alan Rickman playing the role, I, I just get diehard moments that just... Uh, uh, uh-huh. touch me but anyways maybe he was the right actor for the 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 role maybe uh anyways well, i think he, he did he's a great actor but his portrayal of spurrier pissed spurrier off oh no really oh yeah yeah like there were lawsuits he was inferior i didn't know and spurrier spurrier is a super chill kind relaxed man but he did not but but that's the problem right he's such a delicate kind easygoing man he did not like being portrayed the way rickman portrayed him right Right. Slightly um, elitist. Oh, yeah. More than slightly. <laughs> <laughs> I should have watched the movie. I did. Re- I, I, I should watch the movie again. I've watched it multiple times and shared it with friends. But I was reading History in a Glass just, uh, well, over the last few evenings, 60 years of wine writing from uh, Gourmet Magazine. And there is a, a very uh, classic story um in there about the judgment of Paris and and uh, y- y- you you don't know this book yet. I don't know, oh. although I've since you've mentioned it, I've written it down and I will. <laughs> you will. You, so this is a point that I I think maybe the audience might get a, a kick out of. You and I have been, you know, aware of wine and and the various varieties and the various regions and the various people. There's always something more to learn, isn't there? Oh goodness. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the same thing. So I, I have a doctorate and what I've always told people is that the, the, the most important thing you learn when you write a dissertation and mine a subject to its depths and, and dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and become expert in something is how many different disciplines there are, how much there is to know. And this is so true of wine, you know, and, and every time I speak, I, I speak with people that I consider to be some of the greatest wine minds in the world. And they'll be the first to tell you, master sommeliers will be the first to tell you, oh my gosh, there's so much more to know, so much that I don't know. And and that's, it feels astonishing, but it's, that's, that's part of the beauty of it. Well, isn't that, I mean, let's go to it. Whether you uh, know hydrology, geology, geography, um, uh, sociology, I could go through the, all the ologies they, and, and philosophy. Uh, <laughs> yep. All of oh, yeah. these have a, a foundation in wine knowledge. Mm-hmm. Is it? Absolutely. Yeah. Just, it, you know, we don't under, we don't know what we don't I, I know that was a famous American who said we don't know what we don't know but um, yeah, the wine world isn't that what's also amazing about it you you think you've got this far and you go well that's that let's close the book there isn't there is no way to stop because every vintage is different every new owner every new winemaker every new bottling Whew. absolutely right yeah and you know I mean to their credit I think the 
the viticultural industry can is really responsible for some of the most amazing pioneering throughout history as well not only in terms of techniques but you know here we are in 2023 and i think that some of the most interesting and innovative and effective carbon farming taking place mm. is being done by winemakers uh and vineyard managers um i'm attending a a conference next month i'm chairing a panel on regenerative viticulture and um there's some people just doing some absolutely amazing things including gergich hills um yes. which was founded of course by mike gergich when he left chateau montalena and started his own winery there is, I mean, it just goes on. Even the buildings themselves, the wineries, um, uh, you could gravity feed, um, but, you know, could be rammed earth buildings with, with solar panels and, and water um, uh, management systems, and, and, and the list just goes on and on. Absolutely. Gosh. How on earth, okay, we have to go back, turn the clock back. You were how old when you had your first glass of wine and went, I think there's there. I think there's there's something here that really attracts me, and uh, it's not just the wine, but there's there is all that that stuff that we've just talked about. Right. So there are two two answers to that. Um, I wrote one time. I wrote a review. I used to be a correspondent for American Winery Guide, and when I reviewed Sutter Home Winery on oh. a five star scale, I gave them four stars. Nobody had ever. Done that. Deigned view Sutter home. No, that was uh, you know like like Boone's Farm in some ways. It was yeah. uh, White Zinfandel, uh, you know, easy access. Well, yes, and that's exactly the point because I said this is one of the most important wineries historically speaking in the world because we all had to get from Bush Light to Cabernet Sauvignon somehow, and. Ah. White Zinfandel is the gateway drug to wine, I am convinced. And so I think one some of the most important wine I ever drank was White Zinfandel in college, where I went, okay, well, we want to drink wine, but my palate certainly doesn't tolerate the wines that I drink today, you know, at that time. And so I um, I would drink sweet wines, and, and, and it kind of eased me into it. But it wasn't really until my honeymoon um, 10 years ago, in Napa and Sonoma, when we visited Chateau Montalena, but a number of other wineries as well. Um, Robledo, which is in Sonoma and owned by um, Mexican uh, immigrants who who came as as migrant workers and and became people who who founded and owned their own winery, and some really amazing stories. And I fell in love with the stories, and and I also tasted wine like I had never had it before. Real amazing boutique crafted wines and i just went oh my god this stuff is amazing and uh i i found it so interesting and i have never stopped <laughs> well and again you could go to any other region you could go down to uh to paso and and go and visit uh, gary aberly for example example oh, yeah. and and you know and 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 others well-known others who who are in that that field or you could go uh you know santa Ynez valley or uh, it, it just go yeah. it, it everywhere. Oh, we go out of the state. We could go to Washington and Oregon, and and I don't know if you've had a chance to taste BC or or other Canadian wines, but not as have... much as I want to. But I absolutely have, and and people aren't blowing smoke. It's phenomenal stuff. So really, what we're looking at perhaps is, and and maybe it's happened in in micro micro. Uh, uh, I guess micro changes, micro micro. Mm, 
differences that have happened with Canadian wine where people were like, oh, I don't, I'll have a glass of wine, but don't you have anything else? And uh, I, I see now people going, I, I'm going to try that one from the bench, the upper bench in Niagara, you know, because they know. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Well, and, and here's the thing. This relates back to the judgment of Paris. Why are, I'm going to be a little facetious here, why are the Canadians allowed to make wine? Why are the Americans allowed to make wine? You know, and the answer is the judgment of Paris and what came afterwards, because previously it was known, it was known that the French made the truly extraordinary wine and bless the hearts of all those other poor saps for trying. Mm. And, you know, once the walls came down, and I keep using, I keep saying that because the judgment of Paris, of course, was was a, an event, the event that sparked the Trojan War, where the walls came down, right? Um, we can talk about that later if you want to. But but the, when the walls came down, when, when the myth of superior French terroir was shattered by the Americans, then all of a sudden, it becomes known quickly that everybody, in fact, is not only making wine, but that world-class wine comes from all over the world. And today, you and I walk into the grocery store, or God forbid, an actual wine shop, and we can buy Argentine Malbec and Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon and New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and Australian Shiraz and Austrian Grunefeldliners and, and on and on and on. There's Rioja on the shelves. There's, there's everything on those shelves. And that just wasn't the case indefinitely, right? Like previously, the French made the great wine. Anybody who was anybody drank French wine. And then you might, you know, occasionally accidentally drink something else. That is so true. Isn't that what's wonderful about about our life, this period of time that we're in since post, well, I'm going to say since post 90. Uh, I think that was a watershed year in so many ways for, uh, it felt like the world was changing. The accessibility was there. The the broadness of things widened up and Oh, Mark, what a, what a wonderful time to live in that we can go and taste the world. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it really, I mean, you think about, you know, you drink a, I had a glass of Chateau Moussard a couple of weeks ago. Ooh. And you think about what's going on in Lebanon, Lebanon. and they're making wine. Or I'm, I'm reading a really interesting book right now, and it, part of it's about, um, I read the chapter on on Israeli winemaking yes. and how that has changed recently. And I love Israeli wines. I'm serving them at an event next week, you know, um, and and on and on. But like, there are just some incredible wines coming from all over the world. And to your point about being alive right now, we have access to them. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, South African wine, though, was one of the ones that wasn't available till 19... Oh, I'm trying to remember the exact year that apartheid ended. I should know that right off the top of my head. You might know it. I, I was going to say, I want to say uh, 91, but it might be 92. It's early mm-hmm. 1990. Yes. Right? But think about how... The, and now, with all the problems in South Africa, there has been a, a reduction of availability of uh, current vintages of South African wine. But, you know, there are war-torn regions. You've made that point. There are people who are... Uh, I was just thinking about when I represented some South African wines and uh, and mm. there were no, no indigenous winemakers. They were right. all from somewhere else, and they were certainly white. Yes. Yeah, well, and... I think, you know, to, to that point, we still see a lot of that today. And there, there's, 
and not just in South Africa. There is one black woman making wine in the Napa Valley right now, mm. right? There well, are four African American master sommeliers in yes. the world, um, and 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 you know, you think about the role of of Mexican and and Latinx uh, people in producing wine. But most of them are not the Robledos, no. right? Most of them are not Gustavo Brambilla. Um, most of them are doing the hardest work for the least, least pay. pay. Yeah, the um, least but return. Then they're, they're the heroes, you know. Then they're, they, you can. We look at that, and, and we're seeing a transition. You know, um, Ren Harris, who uh, founded Paradigm Winery in the Napa Valley in Oakville, and makes one of my very favorite Cabernet Sauvignons. Um, you know, he's been giving his vineyard crew insurance since the 1970s, I believe. Including you dental know? dental uh, and health care. Yeah, like yes. taking care of these people. and, and Social justice. Right. I mean, there's, there's just, we, we look at you, you mentioned South Africa, and yeah, we look at, 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 at the treatment of people and, and we go, okay, we can do better. And then there are those who actually do. Yes. There actually is a story in this History in a Glass about a Latino uh, families who have who have um, either through the years, decades of change or decades of investment or children who went to UC Davis for uh, because there was this possibility and they've come back and mm-hmm. uh, some of the well, ones. Gustavo Brambilla, that's his story. Brambilla's dad was working with Mike Gergich and Andre Chelyshev at Bull U. Yep. And Gergich and Chelyshev took him aside and went, you got to get one of your kids to college. Yep. Yeah. And so Gustavo went to Davis and learned how to make wine and then worked briefly at Montalena and then went and worked for Gergich for 20 years at Gergich Hills. Wow. So really, today we've been talking about that pivotal moment, the judgment of Paris that really probably set in motion vast change in this industry. Absolutely. Wow. What, so this book, let's, let's put it out there. What's the title? Where do we find it? And I, I know I can spell your last name, but I'm going to, maybe the audience can't. It's G-U-D-G-E-L, Mark Gudgel. Yes. And what's the title of the book? Uh, it's The Rise of Napa Valley Wineries, How the Judgment of Paris Put California Wine on the Map. It comes out May 8th, and you can pre-order it from your uh, small independent bookstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful that you are able... And are there pictures, diagrams, illustrations? Are there? I'm actually really proud of that. Yeah, I think my book is the only place where you can find every photograph taken of the original Judgment of Paris by Bella Spurrier. Um, I don't know that they'd ever been assembled before, and uh, in in corresponding with Bella and conducting interviews, we have to take a small station break here for just a moment. We were, of course, uh, Zoom has that wonderful ability of, of cutting you off from time to time. And I, I was talking and am again talking to Mark Gudgel. Mark, you know, we were talking about your book, you know, its availability in May. And you did mention the title. Do you have a, a price perhaps in American dollars that we would find this at? Uh, you know what? I've got a copy on my desk. Let me take a look. So if you're out there in the audience, you want to learn about the judgment of Paris and and really what the implications of that has been to not just the Napa and California wine industry, but to to the world wine industry. Mark, give us the title again. Uh, The book is called The Rise of Napa Valley Winery, How the Judgment of Paris Put California Wine on the Map. 
fantastic. I just want to say thank you so much to our guests today. And I'm sure, Mark, if, if you're willing, we'll probably talk again because I have a feeling there's another book in you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm already working on a couple, and I would love to chat with you about them. Definitely you. Thank you. Very good. Mark Edgel, thank you so much for your time. You have been with us on CKLU 96.7 on your FM dial. Listen at any time if you want your convenience to podcast. Just Google my name, Hugh Cruzel and the word podcast. Bye for now, folks.